Nicholas, can you turn that speaker off for me, please? That speaker gets buzzing and drives me crazy. I don't know if you all can hear it, but it's distracting. So we are continuing with our study in, uh, in uh, following the steps of Christ today. Um, we're going next into to the context here, uh, where last week we saw Jesus calming the storm. Remember, Jesus and the disciples um, were on their, their ships, on their boats, headed over uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a big storm, and Jesus calms the storm. And the context of our study today is, is I believe, when the, the boats hit the sand and they get off and, and they walk on the, the shore there. Um, it's quite a few verses that we're going to look at today. We're going to go fairly fairly quickly through it. I want our focus to be on God's power today, uh, on the power of Christ. We see, we see Him show power um, over the forces of hell, over, over demons, over the devil. And it's just an incredible display of power. And I don't want us to miss that or overlook that or overshadow that by the events of this story. And I want us to see that Jesus is God and Jesus is all-powerful. So that's going to be our, our focus as we study today. And then uh, when the message is over, when we're done with this study, uh, we're going to observe uh, the Lord's Supper together this morning. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, let's get back on track here with this. Last week, we saw Jesus command the wind and the raging water of the sea and how did the wind and the water immediately respond? They obeyed. There was an immediate calm. And Jesus and the disciples were able to continue on their journey across the sea. As the story wrapped up, we have Jesus questioning the faith of the disciples. You remember the story where there was this huge storm? Jesus is sleeping in this ship, in this, in this small boat, and the disciples run down. Wake up, Jesus. Don't you care? We are dying. Our life is over. We're done here. Don't you care about it? And Jesus wakes up, rebukes the, the wind and the sea, and says, where's your faith? And then we have the disciples in fear. Because it's like they're catching a greater glimpse of, of who Jesus is. The fact that he is God in the flesh and their response as sinners to a perfect holy God was, was fear and was awe and was respect and was reverence. So that was last week. This week, we'll see Jesus interact with a man possessed with demons. A scary situation. Uh, scary to, to think about this man in this state and the torture that he would have been facing. But, but we're going to look at it today because those demons, those devils, are no match for the power of Almighty God. The context is when the boat, or the boats, the, I was corrected in my discussion group last week. Um, the, the seniors love correcting me and, and having fun with me and harassing me. But I called the group of boats going across, I called them a convoy. And apparently a convoy has to have semis and a high-speed chase involved. I was corrected that it was a fleet or a flotilla of boats. So we're going to go with flotilla of boats. And these boats reached the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just put his power on display out in the middle of this, this lake or this sea. They get to the other side, and Jesus is going to have another opportunity to display his power, to show that he is 
God. Let's look at our text. Let's read it together just so we're familiar with the details and then we will quickly go through it verse by verse. Uh, It's in story form here today. I enjoy going through the stories of the Bible. But we'll start in Luke 8, verse number 26. You can also find this parallel story in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34. But for today, we're mostly going to be in Luke. Starting in verse 26. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of God Most High, I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he brake the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there an herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done, and came to Jesus, and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear, and he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for today. Thank you that we can come together, that we can worship you together, that we can lift up our voices in songs of praise, that we can pause from our busy lives and we can consider your greatness. We can sing uh, words to you, words of your greatness and your power and your glory. I just thank you for, for being so great and for being so holy. I thank you for the gift of salvation that you have provided. I thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that we, we matter to you. I pray that you'll give us understanding now that, that you'll help these events and, and this story to clearly make sense in our mind. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will be at work in us, that you will open our hearts and our minds and you will, you will challenge us and, and you will show us what you have us to see today. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your greatness. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. All right. So verse number 26. We see Jesus and the disciples getting to their destination on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. The place that they stopped was the opposite side of the lake from Galilee. Remember last week we saw them getting on the boat. We've talked about that a little bit. There's a group of boats. They head to the other side. So they were opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee, meaning the opposite side of where Galilee was. On a modern map, um, where they stopped is believed to be Cursa, the, the, the town of, of Cursa, or the city of Cursa. So if you have a modern map, you can kind of get an idea where they were. Um, it's up towards the, what I believe, up to the northern North, east, is that east? Northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. There, sorry, struggling up here. The northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. So if you look at your map, it's, it's somewhere in there, I believe. But I picture the disciples and, and Jesus getting out of their boats, getting off the boats, still talking, still in awe. Remember the huge miracle they just saw? They saw God's power on display and real in their lives. I picture them still talking about that. They thought they were dead. And then they safely make it to the other side. And they get on this dry land. And for me, I would have been so happy to, to touch the ground after having this traumatic experience out on the water. Water scares me to death. I do not want to drown. It seems like a horrible way to go out. But we, we have them safely make it to the other side. And I picture them just recalling the power of Jesus and what he had done. And then all of a sudden... Here comes this, this guy. Mark 5, 2 gives us a, a picture of how it looked. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So can you picture them having conversation, praising God? They step on the ground and boom, here comes this naked crazy guy running at them. I picture him screaming and hooping and, and hollering, thinking he has some new, new people here. To mess with. So he's on his way to them. They, this man possessed with devils comes to Jesus, coming out of the cemetery, out of the tombs, not where normal people usually hang out, right? In the cemetery among the dead. That's, that can be creepy and, and eerie, and people usually don't set up homes there. But we have this man running out of the tombs, running to Jesus. Look at verse 27. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. So this man that met with them was possessed. He was controlled by demons. He is naked. He lived among the tombs. This man was in a bad situation, and he had been this way for a long time. Back in Mark chapter 5, verse number 5, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. So, this, this guy, possessed with demons, not in his right mind, obviously, living among the tombs, in the wilderness, in the mountains, running around crazy, he would be cutting himself. He would be screaming. He, he was tortured. I mean, just the, the thought of living naked in the mountains, you know, exposed to the elements. And, I mean, that's torture in itself. 
But these devils had overtaken this man's body, and this is the way that he lived. They see Jesus and the disciples coming up to the shore. This man runs out to meet them. I wonder what the disciples were thinking at this point. Because they had seen some, some stuff. They had been with Jesus. They had seen him perform miracles. They had seen some tricky situations. But I picture them kind of standing back, maybe even further as this man comes into Jesus, and just observing and just wondering what's going on. Matthew tells us in his account that there, were, that there were two men, two possessed men that came up to Jesus. But Luke and Mark just focus on the one man. So I, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to focus on the one man. We don't know many details about the other man. But if, if you're reading and wondering, this one says two, this one says one, it just appears the authors focused that two of the authors focus on just this one man and the accounts behind this one man. So if you have any questions about that, that's what I believe. That's where I stand on that. So I picture this, this man running, acting crazy to Jesus. He makes it to the group of people. But this possessed man recognizes one of the people, one of the men in the group. Because look at verse 28. And I imagine the, the, the demon's response started out, oh no, we should have not ran up to, to this group of people. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Try to picture this. This possessed man running at Jesus, recognizing, oh no, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. And his response, or their response, was to fall down and recognize who this Jesus was. And we have this, this powerful group of demons begging for mercy. Pretty crazy picture. Powerful demons, they recognize their place before God, and they're on their face begging for mercy. James tells us that the devils believe, and their response is that they tremble. They know the power of God. They understand their final destination is to be cast into the lake of fire. They understand this. The demons know their final destination. They beg Jesus to not torment them. Don't send us, don't send us to torment now. Don't torment us now. What jumps out to me from that interaction is they knew who Jesus was and they humbled themselves before God, bowing down, begging for mercy. And think of the power that these demons had because the people from the city would try to chain up this possessed man with chains and tie him up and keep him bound. But the demons helped this man break those chains. They're as powerful in the, the, real, the real spiritual dark forces of the devil. But when they stood before Jesus, they recognized someone more powerful, someone greater than them. And their response was on their faces before 
God. So we see them humbling themselves, recognizing who God is. But I want you to see the difference of the religious elite that had been interacting with Jesus up to this point. There was no humility there. It was pride. They saw Jesus. They heard Jesus' teaching. And their response was rejection. And they were puffed up and they were filled up. There was no recognizing you are God. My position is a position of humility. I should be looking to you, begging for your mercy, begging for your grace. Because as sinners, as sinful people, we are separated from God because of our sins. And we are unholy. And God is perfectly holy. And our position is not a position of pride telling God how it's going to be or how it should be. Our position, our rightful position, should be a position of humility, bowing down before God, recognizing His greatness and His holiness and the fact that in ourselves we have no righteousness and no, no power and we need Him. But so often it's a, it's a position of pride. God, here's how it should be. God, here's what you should do. For me, so often. But what it should be is, God, I need you. You are, you are great. You are holy. And I believe we see that picture from the disciples on the ship when they started seeing who God was and their response was fear. And we have this, this contrast in my mind of seeing the demons in fear before God, recognizing who He is. And we can see people who reject God in a position of pride. And the right position is of humility. And through Jesus, through His perfect sacrifice, through His death on the cross, through His shed blood, we can have a right standing before God. He does offer justification and forgiveness and redemption. But there is that needs to be that sense of humility and brokenness. Not, God, you owe me. Here's what you should do for me. It's, God, I'm nothing without you, and I need you. Look at verse 29. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. So Jesus had commanded these demons to come out. The demons had been controlling this man. They had overtaken his body. They had given him super strength to break chains. But society was so scared of him and he was so dangerous that they tried to bound him and, and tried to hide him away. But the demons kept breaking him free. He couldn't be controlled or bound by the strongest people of the city. He would break free from any constraints. And he ended up leaving town. Look at verse 30. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. Another interesting thought is these, these devils, these demons in this man could not be controlled by the strongest people of the town or the strongest chains people could make. But they meet 
Jesus, and they're on their face begging for mercy. You see the power of God there, the power of Christ? And these demons recognized it. So Jesus asks them, what is your name? He knew who they were. He knew everything about them. And their response is legion. And a legion, I want to explain this to you so we can get the the picture of the magnitude of the demons that were possessing this man. A legion was a Roman unit of soldiers with up to 6,000 men in it. So this man was extremely possessed and controlled by demons. Mark tells us that the herd of swine that Jesus ends up allowing these demons to go into was around 2,000. So these, I mean, you can see that there could have been a huge, well, there was a huge number of demons in this, this man. Could have been in the thousands. Okay, because those 2,000 pigs all ran down the hill into the water and choked themselves. So, big volume of demons in this, this man. And it helps us see a glimpse of the power of Jesus. Somebody's happy out there. It wasn't mine. Mine probably caused it, though. So, these demons announce themselves that there's many. There's, there's a legion of us. And Jesus is going to have power over all of them. Not just one, but thousands. Jesus was outnumbered by the demons, yet they were the ones begging for mercy. I love that thought there. The power of, we can talk about the power of God, the power of Jesus, but, but we get to see it here almost in a a numerical form where there's thousands against God and the thousands are still the ones on their face begging for mercy. God is the one with authority. God is the one with the power. Look at verse 31. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. So they're begging Jesus to not send them out into the deep. That word deep is talking about abyss or bottomless pit. They were begging Jesus to not cast them into the bottom, the bottomless pit, sending them to their, their destination that's coming down the road. They asked him, they begged him to not do that. Verse 32, And there was an herd of many swine feeding in the mountain, remember around 2,000 pigs, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. So they begged Jesus to send them into the swine, and Jesus says, okay, you can go into the swine. Jesus allowed the demons to enter the pigs. Then verse 33, we're going to try to paint this picture here. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. Could you imagine observing that? Like, I would just like to see a herd of 2,000 pigs on a mountain. We had 400 at one time at my house growing up, and that's a lot. But to see 2,000 on this hillside, I mean, those poor farmers trying to watch those pigs and keep them 
contained somehow. I have three pigs that are tough to keep in their pen. Thousands of pigs out there, and the demons are cast into them. They run down this, this steep bank. I picture this big cloud of dust with them running and just bloop, bloop, plopping into the water there and drowning. Verse 34, we see how the farmers respond. And they that fed them saw what was done. They fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. So the farmers just lost their job pretty much. They run into the city telling the people, running into the town, running around the countryside. And this apparently happened fairly quickly. Telling everybody, you won't believe what just happened. This crazy naked guy just had the demons cast out of him, but they went into pigs. And then all 2,000 of our pigs ran and jumped off a cliff, and they're dead in the bottom of the lake. They were pretty excited, and they're telling everybody they could about what had happened. It doesn't take too long, and the whole town comes to see what had just happened. Right? You hear news like that, you're going to check out what's going on. I picture this whole city now running back to find Jesus and this crazy famous naked guy that everybody in the town knew about because they kept trying to kick him out of the town. Verse 35, Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They couldn't believe what they saw. Something extremely powerful had just happened. This man that was crazy was now sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning. He was controlled without chains. Something the people of the town could not do, this Jesus, this Son of God of the Most High, had impacted this man, had changed his life. So much so that the town, when they observed it, their response was fear. I don't know what's going on here. I could picture them thinking, but this is, this is too creepy for even us. Or there's too much power here for us to want anything to do with. The power of Jesus was on display. The people couldn't calm this down man with chains. Jesus come and this man is clothed. He's sitting still. He's in his right mind. And the people respond with fear. Verse 36, they also which saw it told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. So they told the story of Jesus healing this man, how he commanded the devils to leave, and they left. They say this, they told the people what happened to the pigs and how the crazy naked guy was healed, and they say it was Jesus, the Son of God of the Most High. Verse 37, then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned not back again. They wanted nothing to do with this Jesus. And what a sad aspect of this story, because this whole town had an event that put them face to face with Jesus, with the Son of God with the Son of the Most High, face to face with Jesus, and they rejected Him. They responded in fear. They sent Him away 
They walked back home, and Jesus leaves to not return to them. Isn't that a huge contrast from the man that was healed? Remember verse 35, we find this demon-possessed man at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, learning from him. These people are exposed to the truth, and they want nothing to do with him. Get out of here, Jesus. You're not welcome. We don't need you. We're doing just fine without you. And in big picture, they're saying we're perfectly content, dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't need you, Messiah. We don't need this this Christ. We are scared of you. We're scared of your power. We're scared of your glory. We're scared of your greatness. We want you out of here. Jesus was right in front of them. Who he was was on clear display. They rejected and sent him away for Jesus to never return. Look at verse 38. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying. So this man, this guy who was once crazy, met Jesus and he's begging Jesus to stay with him. Jesus, can I stay with you? I, I believe in you. I want to learn from you. I want to spend time with you. You have changed my life. Let me be with you. But we see Jesus turning him away. I've got a plan for you here. Your mission field is huge and it's very needy. All those people that just rejected me, I want you to go back to them and I want, to, I want you to tell them what had happened. So we can still see God's mercy going back to this town for these people. I feel a little bad for this guy, though, who wanted to, be with, wanted to spend time with Jesus. And Jesus says, I, I, you need to stay here. I've got something for you here. And Jesus, all-knowing, knows exactly what he's doing and does perfectly right thing here, the thing that he was supposed to do. Just, I just speaking from me, you know, like, I want to be with you, Jesus. But he had something for him to do. Then, verse 39, Jesus tells the man, Here's what you're to do return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. So Jesus told him to do something, and he was faithful that call. Even though it wasn't what the man wanted or originally wanted, it's what Jesus told him to do. And he went back and he told his family, he told the city. From this story, I want us to most importantly recognize the power of Jesus. Almighty, all-powerful God. Power over demons. Power over the forces of hell. The forces of Satan. I want to recognize who Jesus is, and I want to praise Him for it. He's so worthy of praise. He's completely holy. He's completely right. And our response should be to to praise Him and give Him glory. But what I want us to, to think about after considering the power of Jesus is... 
verse number 39, return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. Has God done anything great in your life? Or in my life? Now, I don't want to be like this demon-possessed man at all. But I want us to consider the, the principle here, how God did something great in his life, and he was faithful to share it. And it made me think, God has done so much for me. I want to be faithful to, to share his greatness, to, to share what he has done with those around me. He's so worthy of praise. He's so worthy of glory and honor. I want to make that known to those around me. Um, God is great. God is all-powerful. And He is worthy of praise. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank You so much for recording this story, for um, saving us this, this story in Your Word from Your earthly ministry. Thank You that we can see Your power on display. Thank You that we can see um, Your greatness, this, this clear picture of Your greatness. I pray that, that we will respond to You with praise and honor and glory. Thank You so much for who You are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.